Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I talk with writer-director Ben Sledge and award-winning actor Dan Franco about their new film, The Recursion Theorem. It's a sci-fi noir short with influences ranging from the Twilight Zone in Greek mythology to the classic arcade game Asteroids. Ben and Dan share many insights, including how to buy a dead bird. Let's get into it. And here we are with Dan Franco, the star, and Ben Sledge, the writer and director of the recursion theorem. How are you guys? Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm doing well. Glad to be here. You guys, you guys made a really cool short film called the the recursion theorem. But before we jump into it, um, you guys want to give a little background about yourself? Maybe uh, Ben, you can start off. Uh, tell a little bit about you, and you know. Yeah, yeah, happy to. So uh, film has been a passion of mine for a long time now. And, you know, I was always that kid growing up that would take his parents' camcorder and just find ways to write stories and and go off and make movies. And then, you know, getting into school, whenever I had an assignment, if I could somehow shoehorn it into a video project, I would do that and, and write a little narrative to go along with it. So uh, something that was like passion early on. And then, you know, as I got into adulthood, I was able to find like-minded people. And it's always just been... Uh, really like a, a hobby, a side thing. In my professional career, I work as a multimedia manager. So I, I work with video, I work with photography, I work with the web and social media and all that. Um, and then on the side, I enjoy doing these film projects. And, you know, this one uh, is pretty unique. It's it's a little dramatic and um, it's a little bit more somber in tone than some of my previous work, which has been comedies. And uh, so it's been fun to explore. And mm-hmm. And getting to work with Dan on this, like he really brought the character to life and allowed us to expand it out. So it's been a it's been a good progress. Um, hope to have the opportunity to do more film projects soon in the future and, you know, keep building the team and work with Dan and some of the other crew that we had on this one as well. Now, Dan, uh, he's praising you for acting. And I'm going to add to that because <laughs> uh, the acting in this, it's fantastic. Um, give us a little background about yourself. So um, I, I come from kind of the same, similar background, just from a, from a very young age, kind of started down this, down this trail, um, actually because of Star Wars. So um, nice. you know, one of those things where it just kind of, that fire got, got lit early on, and, and I've always kind of sort of gravitated toward um, the acting side of, you know, I've, I've also done some filmmaking and stuff like that with some friends, but... Um, the acting side of it is where my passion is. So, um, you know, I went off to college and I got my degree in theater arts from a, from a college here in Maryland. Um, it's called McDaniel college. Now it was Western Maryland college when I was there. And, uh, when I got out of college, I, at the time we had a fairly thriving acting community here in, um, the DC Baltimore area, a lot of, uh, great tax incentives. So there was a lot of, uh, work to, be had so um, mm-hmm. kind of early on was able to get into 
um, get on, on on some of those shows and, and some some projects and kind of cut my teeth uh, on the film side of things. And then uh, I've just been fortunate to have a couple couple great roles on some of the of the local shows. And then this sort of uh, the recursion theorem sort of um, developed very quickly. I think I I auditioned for it on a Sunday and <laughs> and we were shooting. We were rehearsing on Thursday and shooting on Saturday, so it turned around very, very quickly. Um, wow. De- developed quickly on your end. Developed uh, for a very yeah. long time before <laughs> yes. that on our end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. A lot building up to that moment. <laughs> right. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, before we get too deep, uh, let's talk about the title itself, The Recursion Theorem. Now, I had to look this up so I didn't sound like a complete idiot talking to you guys. Uh, but from what I can gather, uh, you know, it's an allusion to um, uh, a picture within a picture within a picture within a picture sort of into infinity or or even like those Russian dolls that you open up and there's a smaller one inside. Could you guys shed a little light on that for us? Yeah, that's definitely along the right trail. And, you know, re- recursion is also something that comes up in computer programming. So the important, like the, the thematic relevance of it is that it's about this idea of something that does loop on itself. So like you're talking about the image of a image within an image, and it just keeps being embedded within itself mm-hmm. and is constantly eating. And that's very much an essence and part of this film where we're exploring this idea of recursion and you know, almost really eternity and repetition and cycles and loops. So mm-hmm. the title is definitely a nod to that theme. Now, Dan, your acting was great. We already mentioned that. But you had to act opposite of somebody very difficult. Can you tell us about that? Oh, that guy was a diva. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, at a certain point, uh, my character's conscience sort of splits into two uh, different different characters um uh so there's a there's this sort of entity that is also the character's name is dan so it became very confusing on set if we were talking about (laughs) dan the character or dan me or you know and at two in the morning it it it, sometimes there was uh the line between the two was (laughs) very thin yeah Um, yeah so there was actually two of you uh talking to each other the same character with 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 minor variations um but uh, so you enjoyed that? I mean, you're going to win best supporting it. actor and best actor, I guess, right? <laughs> right, right. It it was um you know it was one of those things it it um you know when you when you act you don't really take for granted the the reverse that that you that sort of like that that moment where you know you, you're still on and you're still giving everything you've got, but the camera's not on you, so you're not kind of you know, the, the, the pressure is off a little bit. Um, when you're both sides of the scene, it, 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 uh, that pressure never really, really lets off. So it, it, it was kind of a, it was a, it was a great experience. I mean, um, you know, and obviously I think it, it was you, Ben, wasn't it? That I was actually out. You, you stood there for the eyeline. I did stand in for, I, I think I did it. Yeah. And I think we had a uh, Connor stand in for part of it as well. But yeah, yeah. yeah, we always had someone there that was sort of feeding him lines and and filling in the other side, though, not doing quite or not doing nearly as good a job as Dan would do when he flipped over into the other side of it. Right. But it, it you pulled it off the, the eye line. You can tell they're not staring off into space uh, and, it, and it really works. 
first of all, I guess we should tell people this is a, a sci-fi uh, noir, as as you call it on your website. Um, it's it's not your typical thing. It's inspired by um, a lot of things. Why, why don't you guys tell me? So initially, and the way that I would describe it is, I would say it's inspired by Twilight Zone, Greek mythology, and the arcade game Asteroids. Um, and so that was sort of the initial. And then, of course, there's a lot of other just creative inspirations that come out of it. And so I'm very fond of sort of classical area filmmakers like Hitchcock and Kubrick. And so definitely that was a genre and style that I had in mind as we're working on this. And then just being inspired by Twilight Zone, you know, we wanted to sort of capture that feeling and that sort of almost darkness to it, um, you know, without being too dark, but just, you know, having a film that had a little more presence and a little more weight and a little more seriousness. Um, and so that was a lot of fun to explore. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you nailed the Twilight Zone flavor. I mean, right off the bat, you're in there with the, the your use of shadows, your use of lighting, um, the black and white noir. It, it's all a little creepy, and <laughs> I, I say well done. And, and the, uh, the, lo- the location, the location itself is fantastic. Uh, can, can you tell <laughs> us about that? And I don't know if you want to give this away, but... I'm guessing it was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not a real room. Did you build it? Yeah, we did, and that wasn't the plan when we started. So we started thinking we would film in a location, and what we found, as you can imagine, in this area is anywhere that was close by and easy to get to was just out of our price range because they're being used for weddings and receptions and all kind of stuff, and. It would just, you know, logistically and and then looking at the money, there was just no way we could pull that off. And so what we found is we would start going out further and further and further to places that we could afford. But then we realized that driving and shooting a film two hours away is going to also be a nightmare. Just getting the the crew and the cast there and mm-hmm. figuring out the schedule for that. And so I remember just, you know, I we would take these photos every time we scouted a location, and I was studying them. And I came into one of our pre-production meetings one day, and I said, you know, guys, I'm I'm pretty confident that I could build this set. You know, I've been studying these photos and there's only three walls that we really need in the film. We never see the fourth wall. We never see a ceiling. So Mm -hmm. I think we could pull this off. Of course, not having any experience building a set, everyone looked at me and was just like, yeah, right. And we moved ahead. And so really I had to do more homework and put together some plans of how we could actually pull this off and how we could build sort of theater flats and create the space. And it was really an adventure and getting people to come on board slowly. And we started looking for warehouses. And then next thing you know, we had, we found a place and we had it for a month. And so then we were, you know, on pressure to get the set built and get it filmed and get it all torn down before our time was expired. And it was a lot of fun. It was a big challenge, but it, it took a lot of help, a lot of people pitching in and we made it happen. And I'm so happy the way it, it turned out. And I think, you know, as any project like this goes, you find like a lot of happy accidents along the way and things don't go the way you plan initially necessarily. Um, but a lot of times they turn out for the best. And so that was a part of the process with Dan as well, where, you know, we had another actor in mind that we thought we'd be working with from the beginning and the schedule wise that didn't work out. And then Dan came in and auditioned. And I think by far that worked out for the best for us and that he was the right person for the part. And Similarly, with the set, we had that same experience of having to let go of the initial idea, but actually turned out to be what was right for the project. Yeah, I mean, the set is, 
the room is believable. Uh, I want to make sure I make that clear. The room itself is believable. It's not that it looks like a fake room. Um, but without that fourth wall, which is fantastic, uh, it just, it, it gives it sort of a, uh, a stylized, um, symmetry really. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm sure it was much easier for your camera crew too, <laughs> right? You're not bumping into bookshelves and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, the more we would look at locations, we'd have that thought like just shooting in here logistically is going to be very hard because we can't get all the angles that we need. And so working in a warehouse was great and allowed us to get some very high shots and also to, you know, back the cameras up quite a bit. And, and it <laughs> also just, just from, from living in this space for, for <laughs> a week or two, a week and a half, it, it, the, the, you know, if you're in a, in a room, you're in that room, but this was a room inside of a void, inside of this empty warehouse. So it almost sort of lent this this air to to the entire production. Because once we killed the lights in the place, there was like this just blackness engulfing this room, yeah. and it really kind of it it felt like I was in this room in the middle of nothing, you know? Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure that helped on all levels. Now. Uh, Ben, since you wrote this film, um, is it purgatory? Is it hell? Is it <laughs> ambiguous? Is it what is it? It is. You don't have to answer that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but, well, for me, I have my own interpretation, but it's written obviously to be intentionally ambiguous. And my purpose in that is that I want everyone to sort of add to it by taking away what they think is going on and what they. They come up with their own sort of creation. Um, to me, film works better when it's interactive in that way. And I really enjoy hearing everyone's different theories about what the space is or why he's there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to match necessarily with what I had in mind when I was writing it. So I'm going to let it stay ambiguous. And <laughs> I'd like to hear, you know, more interpretations and, and more. But <laughs> yeah, I'd love yeah, to, to me, hear. That's, that's definitely part of the process. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear, uh, Dan, uh, what your what your take is because you had to internalize that character. You were the yeah. one figuring out the uh, the the situation your character was in. So we had a lot of of conversations about this on on set and leading up to it, and uh, and and Ben gave me the same answer he just gave you. <laughs> so <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so for me, I I feel like there's definitely a you know, the the one picture, the first picture he looks at is Sisyphus, and yeah. and Sisyphus is stuck through eternity, rolling that rock up up the hill, mm. and um, and then only to have to go and do it again, just over and over. But he was somewhere before, whether he knows it or not. He he was somewhere before, and this is where he ended up. So I I I always came at it from from a, a an angle of this person had an existence elsewhere. So whether this was the afterlife or, or some sort of penance or, or whatever it was for who they were in, in a past life, that's sort of where I, where, how I internalized it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, Dan bringing up Sisyphus, that one of the major inspirations, as I mentioned before, is Greek mythology. And in particular, there's a essay by Camus who talks about, 
you know, at, at the end, you have to consider Sisyphus happy because he has this purpose, even though he's just pushing this boulder up the hill for mm-hmm. all eternity, like he has a function and has a purpose. And to me, that was really challenging to consider something that we think of as a punishment and think of, you know, something that's uh, hard to bear as something that we should think of as this person being happy for. But, you know, the more I thought about it, you know, it sort of made sense to me that um, I've, I've long had a, an opinion that struggle is what we need most in life and what defines us. So whether it's, you know, on the macro level or personal, we see that uh, usually growth and evolution and sort of periods where we thrive come because of some hardship or some struggle that challenges us and moves us forward. So mm-hmm. that was something that I was interested in exploring in this film was what does it look like if you only have that struggle? Um, because a lot of times we think that, you know, our meaning comes from goals that we accomplish and, and, and that sort of thing. And And what my thought was and what my realization was that you know, we have goals, um, but if we meet those goals, if we accomplish those goals, we celebrate and then we set, you know, more goals and move on. And then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people never get to accomplish their goals. And, you know, at the end, we still have things in front of us that we all don't get to complete. So it's more this idea that we set goals and we pursue them and there's challenges that get in the way and we have to learn to overcome them. And that's really what defines us and and helps us grow and and makes our lives have definition and meaning. So all of that I thought was just very interesting to explore in this character. And it's funny because on, on a practical level, like for me as a, as a, as an actor, you know, this isn't the kind of role that you get, um, especially in, in our area, you know, you, a lot of times the roles that you get are the ones that are, they're casting locally. So they're the, the smaller roles, the, the peripheral roles, the, so you, you don't get to sink into something like this mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I auditioned for it and then Ben and I talked a couple of days later and, and he offered the role and I really was like, now it, it became real. Like, oh, I actually have to go and deliver <laughs> on this. And, and this is me for 20 minutes with no one to cut to and, and, and all this, this entire <laughs> range of emotions that if, if I miss, you know, so, so I, I, I started getting cold feet and, um, and, but similar to that, it's the, you know, we don't grow in our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, uh, this pushed me so far outside of that. And, and, and so, and, and stuff that I've done since then has been better because of this project. So it's, uh, kind of echoing what Ben was saying just on the, on the thematic level of the thing. It, I, I experienced that on a personal level. <laughs> right. Wow. At what point, if ever within this infinite cycle, uh, does he become aware of the previous cycle or does he? Well, my feeling on that is that he's, he's only aware of it on sort of a subconscious level. And in this space, we see that space itself is in some way wrapped upon itself. Right. And what's going on with time is very similar to that, that I see the time is bent around itself as well. So there's not really a beginning and an end. It's this continuous loop. And so there's parts in the film where he's in multiple states at the same time. So it gets into like the Schrodinger's cat, right? Where Mm -hmm. the cat is alive and dead at the same time. And so there's definitely some of that going on where he has this awareness and unawareness at the same time. And 
it's only there at a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. Like, there's there's certain points. So the whole movie is in black and white. But there's certain points where where color comes in, and yeah. um, just one particular like, color, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, it's almost like in those moments, that's where the layers sort of compress and and kind of butt up against each other. You know, mm-hmm. where yeah. where I guess the same events always happen the same way in those moments. Um, yeah. Or, 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 or inter- intersect in those moments. Right. Like parallel dimensions. That's, that's where they rub. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Wow. I, I love stuff like this, this film. Uh, it reminds me in a lot of ways, it's not a time travel film, but it reminds me of uh, movies like primer where you really got to think about it. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. That's great. And that, <laughs> yeah, I love Primer. I, I, and I also love movies that really ask something of the audience and ask you to become engaged. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I really hate in films is where they sit you down at the end and explain it all to you and unfold it too much. Mm-hmm. So I'd much rather leave the experience still thinking about the film the, the next day, the following week. And, you know, what does it mean? And what do my interpretations of what's being said draw me to conclude so yeah like i said that goes back to what i said earlier about i i like film when it's an interactive experience and certainly there's you know we we need films that are just entertainment and just something we can go and enjoy and have fun but we i think we get that to a large degree and so i think it's it's rare when you find those films that really wrap you in and engage your mind and cause you to just you know keep contemplating them for time time afterwards mm-hmm you know, I, I thought, what would I do? I think I would just sit there and drink. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what else is there to do? I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> hopefully there's, there's about 10, 15 iterations where that happened. Right. And, yeah. And he he yeah. just died in the chair. You know? Right. Yeah. We had, a, we had a lot of fun speculating what, you know, went different in different loops. And, you know, we had this idea early on that the film, when it pulls back at the end, that maybe you would see a grid of, you know, like several rooms with different things going on in them. But mm-hmm. we, we decided that was going a little too far away from what we wanted to say. But there, there is a lot of fun to speculate on what might be happening in these other dimensions. Right. Yeah. And the uh, the facial expressions that you have, Dan, and the mannerisms, both at the beginning and the end, are, you know, identical. But by by the second time, you you almost put a different meaning on them. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. we're getting a little too time loopy here. Um, <laughs> but I should mention, uh, Dan, you won a Best Actor Award for this. I did. Um, I, I, at our first uh, film festival when we, we premiered in uh, Columbia, Maryland. and uh, um, That's fantastic, took, man. Yeah, it was nice, yeah. Uh, nice surprise. Well, you guys wrapped a lot of stuff up in this little short film and um, hmm. It is potent. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the uh, the amount of tension that's built, and and you know, uh, part of that is uh, the musical score. Um, I don't know, uh, Ben. You probably want to touch on this. Uh, the composer. Uh, how did that all come about? It's got a real <laughs> old Hollywood vibe to it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for bringing up the music. And we were very blessed to have you know, someone to volunteer their services for this that has really been just a good friend and a good supporter and actually 
came on board and supported the film and ended up being one of the producers on the film. So the, the music is all original and it's done by a composer named Christian Hessler. And really interesting you know, story on our connection was that he was a fan of one of the first projects I did a long time ago, uh, over 10 years ago. And he, he found it online somehow and he connected with me online and we, we actually at, at some point we're talking about uh, working together on a, another film project and we were going back and forth on emails and we, and we lost touch with each other eventually and that project sort of stalled. And as this project was coming together, I was just going through old contacts and letting people know from that had supported my film in the past and had interest in it that we were working on this new project. And he got that email and responded back and, you know, and, and said he wanted to help out on the music and get involved. And so it sort of initiated, like restarted a, a friendship that I had initiated that was growing with him, but, you know, also this collaborative, collaborative uh, relationship as well. And it, it's been really remarkable and just working with him back, back and forth on the music was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. You know, I would give him references. He would give me references. Mm -hmm. We would just start knocking out little parts here and there to see if the themes are right. And it's just a lot of communication, a lot of feedback, but you know, he very quickly honed in on what we were looking to do and just really nailed it where it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like the music you would hear necessarily in a twilight zone episode or a Hitchcock film or, you know, going back that far, it's a little more updated. Um, and so it, it was sort of a happy medium of old and new. And that was, we were just really happy and thrilled with the way it turned out. Yeah. For me, I, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I wrapped my part two years ago and then these guys kind of went off into a, into their own little loop room and, uh, <laughs> and, and we're working on post-production for forever. And, uh, and, and then little bits started coming out like these little, um, things that would come up on the website. And one of them was the, the music of, of, uh, the regression theorem and, and just the little bits that were in that, it just blew me away. I, I was like, wow, this thing, it sounds like a, like a true Hollywood epic score, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, you know, it, it was funny. I, I, I posted this on my, uh, on my website. It, um, it, it was right after I had watched the, um, the the special uh, features on Star Wars, and there's this one piece where Daisy Ridley hears the theme for her character that John Williams has uh, has written, and uh, and it's just this great reaction of her hearing this music that represents her character. And like it was the next day that the the um, the soundtrack released on iTunes, so I went ahead and and, and bought it and and had the same moment, like oh that's that's me, that's my. <laughs> That's my theme. That's so it's a, it's a really surreal kind of uh, kind of thing to hear music that that represents you. Other than other than having to build the set and doing a fine job at it, what what other challenges did you guys face in production? <laughs> I'll tell you, like one tell of me the, the big the funniest. Ones. Well, I'll, I'll, the one that sticks out in mind was uh, this whole story about. The, so there's this dead bird that appears in the film and. <laughs> I was written in the script and of course I got a lot of questions about why do we need a dead bird? And I didn't want to explain all the, at that time, I didn't want to get into uh, what all the symbolisms meant, but 
you know, when you write something like that, you're sort of thinking, you know, how hard is it to find a dead bird, right? Well, just <laughs> surely you'll walk around and someone will find a dead bird. And that didn't happen. And so we thought, well, maybe we can use a fake bird. And we looked online for fake birds in different places and they just looked terrible. So that wasn't going to work. And then we, we called a taxidermist. We thought, well, maybe we can find a dead bird through a taxidermist. And we're on the phone with a taxidermist who's, who tells us, you know, you guys know it's illegal to possess a dead songbird, right? And we're oh, like, wow. oh, of course we know that. Yes. And so these things that you think, yeah, it's a little bit strange, but it won't be that hard, end up turning into this really big problem. And we ended up actually finding that, of course, Hollywood has a solution and that there's prop houses and suppliers there. Uh, and in particular, there was like a medical research company that uh that breeds uh, these types of songbirds for research. And then they provide some of the dead bodies to filmmakers. I guess there's enough demand. Wow. So who knew the underground out, market? But, yeah. So we ended up getting this, you know, dead pres preserved dead bird in a jar. And, you know, of course it had to be handled on set and someone had to dry it and fluff it. And it's just oh. the whole time I'm just getting these looks like, why do we have to have this dead bird in the film? <laughs> I was hoping that story with the taxidermist would end like she'd say, you know, it's illegal to have a dead songbird. And then she opens up a drawer and says, how many you want? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <Just> driving the prices up. <laughs> she just got to make sure you're on the level first, you know? Yeah. Uh, we should mention that this film is available to watch right now on your website. It is. It is, yes. Yeah, so you can go to www.recursiontheorem.com. We have the film up there. It's free to watch. Uh, we we kind of have it posted as a pay what you want to watch, but you can totally watch it for free. If you really enjoy it and you want to donate a couple of bucks, you can do that through the website as well. Um, and I also want to just uh, thank... Rick Adelson so much. He was a producer on the film and he's been involved with all of the post-production as well. So he's done all the editing and coordinated with different special effects artists that have been all over the world. So he's been instrumental in getting this film put together and couldn't have done it without him and just the tons of hours that he put in. Well, the, uh, the final product is, is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's shot beautifully. It was, it was a lot of work from a lot of people and the photography was by Omar Juarez and he did a great job and really nailed that look and feel we were going for. And just, you know, want to make sure we thank him and the whole crew that helped on this uh, project. So I think we had Somewhere around 15 people total, actually, production crew. And then post-production, we had a few other people, as I mentioned, that, that joined in and helped with special effects. So it took a, a large family of people to do it, and we're really grateful. Um, well, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I really like your film. I recommend everybody check it out at recursiontheorem.com. Thanks for having us. It's been great. It's always a pleasure talking about the film, and thank you so much. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Go to our website, IndieFilmGrit.com, and check out the show notes. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you 
have enough indie film grit. <laughs>